Welcome to Big Girl Poker Chat, hosted by Donna Blevins, the big girl of poker at six feet five inches tall. This is not your average poker podcast. Donna and her guests talk about poker in a way you've never heard before. Listen in and learn about how to play the game and how to win at life. Find show notes for this show and more great content on the blog at biggirlpoker.com. And now, Donna Blevins. Hi, this is Donna Blevins, and welcome to Big Girl Poker Chat. And, you know, I, I love chatting about poker, and I love talking from behind the scenes, and that's what we're going to be doing today. It's going to be a treat because we're going to focus on the changes in poker and, and what to expect, uh, possibly in the future. I know that's going to perk your ears up, and again, once again, always to improve your game, because that is my intention. But first, I'd like to remind you about the Bravo Poker Live app. I love it. I download it directly to my Android phone, as well as my desktop computer. Several of my coaching clients downloaded it on their iPhone, and they love it as well. This is real-time, responsive app that makes it a breeze to check out the current live action and tournaments in your local card rooms. When you travel, man, it is stellar. And it works like magic. It's linked directly into the Bravo Poker Room management system and shows you what games are being spread and even how many people are on the waiting list. And any serious poker player simply must use this app. You can download it free. You can go to your store, and bravopokerlive.com is where you can get it for your your desktop. And I really use it on my desktop, so that's great as well. Well, today, Scott Long is with me, and he's one of the papas of Annie Up Magazine, which started in Florida in 2008 and expanded nationwide in 2011. Now, I'm going to let you know I love poker publications, that's how I got my foot in the door in poker industry as a journalist with Poker Digest. They were they were alive for five years, starting back in 1998. It changed my life. And, and so to begin, Scott, where where what were you doing before you birthed Annie Up Magazine? <laughs> birthed Annie Up. I love that, Donna. <laughs> You're so much fun to talk to. Yeah. Um, well, we uh, we were doing a couple things um, uh, to put food on our table. Uh, uh, Chris Casenza, my my business partner, and I uh, were journalists. Uh, we were newspaper editors at uh, the largest newspaper in Florida, which at that point was called the St. Petersburg Times. It's now called the Tampa Bay Times. And um, I was in the uh, the business news division, and he um, was designing. Um, the alternative daily newspaper we had at the time, and um, in 2005, um, a new intern was hired there and convinced the the team there to start a podcast. And uh, we had absolutely no idea what podcasts were, but they asked Chris and I to do a poker podcast, and uh, so we started in that. And, uh, and three years later, we we're getting restless and thought we could do something else, so we uh, decided to. Um, quit our jobs and take the show with us and then uh, start the magazine. So that's kind of where we were before that. Uh, well, you know, did you expect the kind of growth you've experienced with Annie Up Magazine when you first started? Not in the wildest dreams, <laughs> uh, quite honestly. Uh, when we started, we were Annie Up Florida's poker magazine, um, and we were very proud of just focusing on Florida. 
Um, it was a huge poker market that was being ignored by Card Player and Bluff, and it gave us such a good opening to, to start the magazine. And at that point, uh, I was just happy just owning Florida uh, from the print standpoint. I had really, I mean, I remember um, radio interviews I was doing back then, I was telling them I had absolutely no desire to be um, Card Player or Bluff. Funny how things change <laughs> several years later. Um, when we're now just as large as those two publications, and um, it was just because we we thought we uh, I think when we started the magazine we thought our niche was Florida poker. What we learned was that our niche was everyday poker, and that's truly what's being ignored in, in the other magazines out there, which always focus on pros. Certainly, people love to read about pros or the celebrities and the personalities of the game, but. You know, if we're honest, 90, 95% of us are never going to be at that level. Um, and that's a big market that, that wasn't being served. So by by writing up the accomplishments of daily tournaments, uh, weekly tournaments, smaller buy-in tournaments, uh, and things like that, we, you know, we gave a voice and um, and I guess a little bit of fame to uh, the players uh, next door. And uh, that really was our niche, and, and that really spread like wildfire across the country. When I'm talking about... You know the the close to home. I, first of all, I want to find out how did you learn to play the game of poker. Well, that's an easy question. Everybody has the same answer. My grandmother taught me. <laughs> uh, no, honestly, I haven't found anybody yet that hasn't learned from the grandmother. But uh, but I did. I haven't. Did. That's oh, me. Not, all not right. Me. Well, you're the first one ever, Donna. <laughs> uh, but no, when I was kids, uh, we used to play. Um, uh, Certainly not Texas Hold'em, but we play all kinds of different games, Crazy Aids, Gin Rummy, all that kind of stuff with both my grandmothers, to be honest. And um, so that kind of got the uh, the bug in me. Um, and then I, um, my, my dad was a little bit of a gambler, too, so he introduced me to Blackjack. So I started out with that, and then um, you know, then I just started uh, watching TV and, uh, and poker. And um, I, I still remember when Phil Helmuth won his uh, world title because he looked exactly like me at that point, uh, this little scrawny, preppy guy. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that could be me. <laughs> and uh, so then I played a little bit like that, and then and we just kind of, you know, played around with the guys and stuff, home games and stuff for a couple of years. And then we didn't really get serious about playing it until uh, I met Chris. And um, and that was right, you know, after the, the moneymaker and the, the whole card camera on that whole boom. And, um, and then... It just went from there. Yep, that was that was that was 2002, I think. And tell me, tell me, what is your biggest strength at the poker table? Hmm. Hmm. Still a mindset coaching here. Uh, well, um, fans of our Annie Poker Cast will know that uh, I've been nicknamed the Short Stack Ninja, and um, so I guess that would be my strength is that I don't uh, panic like I think most players unnecessarily do um, when they get low on chips. Um, at that point, I, I think I'm, I'm far more strategic on when to hit my, commit my chips to the pot, and I, I just don't give up as quickly as I think most players do. Like, oh, you know, hey, I just lost a big pot. I only got two big blinds. I'm just going to throw it in on the next hand, you know, blind, which I always think is ridiculous. Um, so I, I've, I believe over the last couple of years I, I've survived a lot longer at end of tournaments than I think most people are. Obviously what I need to work on is not getting the short stack in the first place. <laughs> well, again, this is really interesting that you should, you should say you're called the short stack ninja. Would you like to know what they call me? Uh, I'm going to guess it has not the, the word short in it. 
fun. That's funny. That's funny. Thank you very much. Actually, I called myself the Short Stack Witch. Oh, very <laughs> but they, good. They, they they changed the uh, the uh, they they had a rhyming word for the last word. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. And and you know, what was interesting is that I was very proud of being short-stacked and being able to handle short-stacked, and then I recognized something, and this may help your game, Scott. I recognized that I was so proud of myself being a short-stacked witch, or pronounced however (laughs) you prefer, uh, was that it was like I... I told the universe I love dealing with a short stack, and so I traditionally had short stacks. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I said, "You know, is this this uh, this law of attraction thing that's supposed to bring things to you?" I said, "My goodness, am I wanting to be short stack? Prove to people I can handle short stack. Do a great job with a short stack. In fact, I actually went to." Finished well into the money in the 2007 World Series of Poker Main Event Championship because I finished as the top four women out of 6,400 players with short stack. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden I said, wait a minute, I need to see myself really being able to handle a deep stack. And I started focusing on that, seeing myself handling the deep stacks better, and, and I started being able to play that better. So it really was interesting how that changed my game because I was focusing so much being the short stack witch. So I'm proud that I was, but I'm proud that I'm so much better today. So so tell me what might be your biggest challenge, Scott. Oh, boy. Um, I think certainly aggression, which obviously is, is the name of the game these days. I um, well, What I think is very interesting in our business relationship is that I'm uh, the very aggressive partner, and Chris is the very conservative partner. At the table, we're the exact opposite. Uh, he has no problem um, shoving his chips in on, on, a, on a good read, and uh, I, I, I just hesitate using that nuclear bomb uh, option, and I need to be able to do that better. So, uh, you know, one of the, the great gifts of, of this job we have now is uh, traveling so much and visiting poker rooms and watching people play poker. Um, and then, of course, you know, uh, people writing for us, people listening to our show and participating. So I end up learning a lot from that. So that's really what I'm kind of focusing on now is paying attention to these players that, that are in more pots than I am and are playing pots more aggressively than I am and, and how and when they decide to do that um, so it works for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, now, I, I, I saw you, as I often do, at the Deep Stack Charity Poker Classic in Daytona Beach in 2014, with 671 players, I finished with the money. Yay! Yay! Congratulations. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And what's it been like to be associated with one of the largest charity events in Florida as a publication? Uh, wow, I wish I could put it into words, what, what that uh, relationship means. And, and certainly Scott Frank and Rabbi David Kane, the, the two guys at the, at the top of it, we have several conversations over the year where we uh, we gush love on each other because uh, it's just been such a great relationship. But I, I had nothing but respect for how they built that event. Um, you know, we get contacted by dozens and dozens of charity events every year uh, at Annie Up, and um, you know, we try to do what we can to help help them all out. Um, but we put most of our charitable focus on on this one event because it's just so well done. 
And uh, what I end up telling all those folks that call me, uh, particularly ones that are just starting their first charity event and never done it before, is is to go to Daytona in, in April or May every year to whatever this event is and just see how a charity event should be done um, and and really strive to do that. Certainly they didn't uh, build that 672 player base overnight, um, but they, they really put on a, a fantastic event that, uh, it, it's, it, let's be honest, it's very hard uh, in any poker tournament to, to feel like you got your money's worth unless you cash. And certainly um, it's much more difficult in a charity event uh, to feel that way as well too. But I have met no players ever in the several years I've been going there that haven't thought that they were winners in that tournament before the first card was dealt. All the stuff they pack in, the, the lunch, the dinner, uh, all the raffle prizes and stuff to give away, um, giveaways throughout the tournament, um, and all the prizes that are donated. You really don't feel like it's a charity event. And the great thing is when you don't feel like it's a charity event and you make such a difference in a bunch of people's lives, that really, really makes you feel good. It really does. And and I called Rabbi David Kane. I called him on Saturday, and I, I told him that I would, told him the time I'd be over. And he said, can you help us sell the raffle tickets? And I said, <laughs> me? Well, sure. I, I, I thought you had plenty of volunteers. He said, I do, but I've got an idea. And I said, okay, fine. What time do you want me to be there? And uh, he said at uh, 10.30, and I thought, well, that's okay. I don't really like coming in before a tournament starts at, at 1 when I'm competing in the tournament. But I said, okay, man, I'll donate, donate my time. You know, I work with I work with the Veterans Administration as a volunteer to help with traumatic pr- brain injury veterans and spinal cord injury with a poker therapy program. So I'm always about giving my time. And I said, sure, I'll go ahead and come. And this is what cracked me up is that he wanted me to take this big roll. The rolls lasted no time at all. I went through roll after roll after roll. <laughs> and I put, he said, this is what I want you to do, is I want you to go down to the ground, reach down the ground, put the end of the, the tickets under your foot, raise <laughs> up your arm all the way as high as you can go, and you sell that for only 20 bucks. I said, you've got to be kidding me. He said, no. He said, it, it'll really help us sell. And I kept I I believe that I helped them raise almost four thousand dollars and twenty dollars. <laughs> but it was interesting because because it helped me to really get my mind into having fun at the charity event. I, I love charity events, and and that one was just terrific. And I helped people laugh as well, and that was great. And. When you're a player in a charity event, I'm glad that you really talked about the fact that you want to think about the fact that you're helping other people. The blinds go up fast and the levels jump up quickly. Sometimes they seem to blaze by. That's what they do in charity events because, you know, they're 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 needing to get it. The room that's doing it for them needs to get it over quicker usually. Sure. Um, how can you be a good player? at a charity event rather than a chaser? Uh, that's really interesting, yes, because I've played in this event uh, several, several years now. I've only missed one, I think, since they started. And obviously I play in, in various other charity events throughout the year. Um, but this one particularly because it attracts so many people. And uh, so people come in the door the first time and they see me and they're like, Scott, you played this before. How do we play it? And uh, what I've always told them is at the beginning, you're going to have so many players 
that aren't poker players. They're there just because they want to support the charity and they think that, that playing poker might be fun and they're just not going to be sophisticated at all. And, you know, the, the, the weird thing about poker is you would think those are the players you want to play against. I would much rather play against players that, that know what they're doing than players that have no idea what they're doing. They're so unpredictable. So uh, what I always tell them is, you know, early on until you weed out those players, you get half the field gun. I'm not making any moves at all. I'm I'm getting my chips in with nothing less than top pair, top kicker, uh, and otherwise I'm gonna be very cautious and just be patient. Um, so the funny thing about this event uh, this year, I sit down at my table and the first orbit around, I realize I have none of those players at my table. I've got all good players at my table, so I had to readjust on the fly and play what I the kind of game that I normally would like to play but that I hadn't mentally prepared to play that early. And uh, it was very interesting, I think. That's wonderful that you were able to be aware and to to shift your mindset. And this is really interesting because I called you the one of the papas uh, of Annie Up Magazine. As I talk about where's your papa in poker, and, and I think that's really appropriate right here because the first P is patience. The second one, the, the A, is be aware and then the next P is position, and finally it's action. And and that's Papa. You know, patience, awareness, position, and action. That's all, that's exactly what you did. You know, you were aware of the fact that, oh my goodness, I've got people that know what they're doing here. And that does change the game. And the mindset for competing in a, po- in a, in a charity classic, in a charity event of any kind, is exactly what you suggested, Scott, is be patient when you first begin because more than likely the people you were with are going to be playing garbage, you know, garbage in, garbage out. Yep. Uh, but the, the case of it is is that you were aware and realized that you were with players that knew what they were doing. So that's very keen and very aware. I'm really proud of you, Scott. I'm proud of oh, your poker course. game. I'm proud of you in yeah. general. <laughs> you know, I love you, guy. I love you. And and I really am proud of you in the industry. I'm proud of you as a poker player and as a human being. Thank you very much. Oh, well, thank you. It was very yeah. nice to hear. Well, you're welcome. And, and for all that, let me pat you on the back for your podcast, Annie Up PokerCast. I mean, man, being the longest continually running PokerCast that's still being produced, I am dusted. I mean, I don't do my podcasts once a week. You know, I do them periodically. I might do a three or four, but I release them every every few weeks because it's not something that I really love doing it because it's good for me to chat with people in the poker industry, whether behind the scenes. Well, you're not just behind the scenes because you're out front as well. Um, but, you know, you haven't missed a week since your debut in June of 28, 20, 2008. My goodness, how did you keep that streak alive anyway? <laughs> it's been uh, it's been a labor of love, really. It uh, I would say we've gone through a couple of phases, I think. The first three years, obviously, is when we were still at the Tampa Bay Times, or, or St. Pete Times at the time, and um, we never wanted to miss a week there because that was our our hour or two that we got out of real work for the for the week. So uh, there's never going to be any missing of it at that point. Uh, when we started the the company, um, 
anybody out there that started their own company knows just how brutally difficult it is. And uh, I think so. Those first couple months, as we kind of got our sea legs with a company, the podcast was our rock. It was our thing that we could go to every week and just feel like we were still doing what we were doing no matter how difficult everything else is around us so so that kept us together after that um and then we really kind of used the show to to kind of help the rest of business it's never been a revenue producer for us ever um you know we have a couple advertisers every once in a while but for the most part we do it for the fans and um you know i'm sure you know as well too it's just so cool to wake up in the morning uh, fire up your computer and have three or four fa- uh, fan emails. You know, hey, what would you do in this situation? Or, um, you know, I love the show this week. Here's a here's a story that you might like, or something like that. That really, at this point, is what what keeps keeps me going now. Is I just you know, one, I'm a, such a goal oriented person, so I hate to give up uh, on the streak, even though it's ridiculous for us now uh, to continue to do it if, if we can't possibly do it. Uh, but the other part is, I just know we have thousands and thousands of people out there that look forward to the downloading it every Thursday night or Friday morning or whenever. And, um, you know, I just, I guess I just don't want to disappoint them. Well, well, tell me, since you've been so intimate with poker over the last uh, 10 years, in effect, what, you know, what do you know about, how can you describe how poker has changed over that time and how can the players that are listening to us change their game to be profitable? Um, I, I think the biggest thing now, and this is going to seem obvious, but but I talked to way too many players that 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 don't realize this. I, I think there has been a seismic shift in the game since Black Friday, and it's not just that we can't go online and play uh, anymore. Uh, the, the online just ha- offered so much more to the to the sport that that's missing now. So. Uh, I mean, it was a way for uh, players to to learn the game and learn the game cheaply. I mean, you can't go into your local poker room now and play a uh, five-cent sit-and-go, but you could online. Um, So that whole group of players has been lost. And, you know, so when when I talk to poker managers about, you know, hey, we're down a little bit this year, and I'm like, well, almost everybody's down. It's because the economy's down because of that. So... Um, but that whole online thing, uh, the fact that we lost it now means that there's less money in the economy, so it means it's a little tougher out there to do well. Um, and then also I think that online just made players so much better. Um, I mean, it just the, the stuff that you could learn that quickly just changed the game forever, and it wasn't uh, and for recreational players, that's tough. I mean, you can still go in your local room now and play 1-2 no limit or 4-8 limit or something and do quite well no matter how you really played as long as you pay attention a little bit. It's when you get into those bigger games, those bigger tournaments now. I think it's it's just really, really difficult for, for us recreational players to, to feel as confident as we should at those at those levels. And so it just means that we gotta work a little bit harder at it. Well how can how can where do players need to be in live games where they can be more confident? How do they need to deal with their confidence when they sit down at the table? Uh, well, you know, again, I think, like I said, they just have to work at it. So uh, they, they need to, to listen to, to podcasts like ours and yours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they need to keep reading books and keep, you know, uh, when, when pros do seminars, go go talk to them. And uh, so that helps with the confidence. But um, I think that next step really is to to be honest with yourself at the table. And and that's that's a tough thing to do in poker, I think, because poker is always about this big bravado kind of thing. 
you know, hey, I, I beat you at that head, I bluffed you, or all that kind of stuff. But it really doesn't need to be. Uh, I certainly don't feel like I need to play that way to enjoy it. Um, I don't feel like I, somebody bluffed me out of a pot. I need to get upset or feel like I was uh, the loser in that thing. I just got to learn from it and, and come back the next hand. Um, so I think in that sense, that's really the confidence that you need. It's not the confidence to go out there and, and stand up to Phil Ivey if he happens to be at your table. It's the confidence to know that it's all right to lose a hand. It's all right to be outplayed as long as you just realize it and learn and come back the next very next hand, the next day or the next year and, and do better. So that's the kind of confidence I think players need to find. And um, I, I think it's difficult to really teach somebody how to do that. I think that's something that you just got to figure out on your own because we're all wired a little bit differently. But um, just can't be afraid of losing everything, I think, to be you know, afraid I, of losing your ability to, to come back. Yeah, you know, and I think that's really super that, that's a great way of looking at it, Scott. Thank you so much for sharing that, because I, I don't think I've told you this, but but poker literally saved my life in 1996. You did not because, tell me that. Yeah, it, it did, because I was working. You were talking about being in this industry, in your industry, and and in publications, and in, in as a uh, in in the newspaper industry, which is so overwhelming. I know how that works. Well, I was in the real estate industry that is that was in the 90s was absolutely overwhelming. I was actually a Veterans Administration property manager for five counties in southwest Florida. And you can imagine taking custody of 257 properties in one day wow. that that the VA owned because they were they had they were because of the foreclosure process. And I had to take care of these properties. It was doing something new. It was like I had always had my own real estate company. My husband and I had uh, became partners when we got together. But it was our company. And as you know, with your own company, you have all these hats on. You change the hat, whatever needs to be done. And you're overwhelmed because there's so much to do. And I was working way too long. I was working 17 hours a day, seven days a week. I was taking care of my customers. I loved helping people find their homes. That was something that I loved in. And it was very important to me, but I realized one day, I was sitting at the poker table very early on. And by the way, I did not learn to play poker, not from my grandmother, but until I was 47 years old. Wow, great. <laughs> I didn't even know what beat what. I, went, <laughs> I, I did wear four suits, but I did not know what beat what. The hour that my husband and I drove from Bonita Springs, Florida, out to Immokalee, to the Seminole Bingo Hall, where mm -hmm. they had a few, uh, a few tables, is I would go one pair, two pair, three of a kind. I kept repeating that over and over again. He was so tolerant. He was so loving when it came to that. But I can remember the day when I was sitting at the poker table that I realized that there was only one thing I had control over, and that was how I played the hand I was in. It was a realization that was just astonishing. There was everything else kind of fused away, but, and I realized that what I had done a few moments ago in a hand didn't matter because that's gone. If I did something great, I could pat myself on the back, but I didn't need to, t to focus on that either because that's gone. The cards that aren't here aren't here. There's mm -hmm. only one thing you have to deal with, and that is the hand that I'm in. It taught me 
that the only control, the only place I should be is in the moment. And literally, it changed my life. And it was just astonishing because I had been focusing on all the mistakes I'd made in my life, and I kept worrying about that, and I let that go. And that's in the in the and when you're at the poker table, you make a mistake, let it go. You'll mm-hmm. learn. We usually don't even have time to learn about it at the table because the hands go so fast. You're going to have a hand everybody every two minutes, and you know, let it go, and you'll you know learn those lessons later. But that was really astonishing to me, and. And you know, you're talking about a seismic shift in the game. I love the way you put that. And that's poker was a seismic it caused a seismic shift in my life. That's a great story, Donna. Thank you. You know, now what do I want to talk about more? Your anti up poker cruise or your anti up poker tour? Well, the guy, what's my favorite? You know, I'm juggling. I guess, you know, I guess I got to say cruises, even though I don't go on enough of them because of <laughs> responsibilities. I guess cruises are, in general, are my favorite because they're they just kind of take you away from the world. And talk about impressed! You were just your cruise was just named as the top one of the top twelve ultimate guy getaways by Huffington Post. Get real, man. I can't believe that. That is awesome. Yeah, we were really floored uh, when that came out because that's just uh, just amazing exposure for it. Um, you know, almost everybody on the Internet seems to be reading HuffPo now. So uh, to, to have that kind of uh, recognition is great. And um, so what, what I like to remind everybody right away, though, is that, uh, well, it's the ultimate guy getaway. We have quite a few uh, women that come on our cruises and have a blast as well, too. So <laughs> certainly not... Uh, not all for guys, but yeah, we were very, very, very excited about that. And, well, now, uh, what can players expect when they sail on an, uh, go on an anti poker cruise? Yeah, I, I think it really is. It is interesting to me that as, as long as we've been doing this, and as much as we've been promoting it, that I still meet people that don't quite get the concept. You know, at the, the, the tournament this weekend that I uh, was in, um, I was explaining it to people all the time, and they really liked it. So uh, it, it's it. If you've ever been on a cruise, it's exactly the same way. We use normally, regularly scheduled Royal Caribbean sailings. Um, so everything you normally would enjoy on a cruise is there. We're just a small group on board that we rent out the conference center and bring on our own dealers and tables and ships and cards and set up you know, a real poker room in the conference center and have cash games and tournaments and classes and, and things like that. Um, so folks can, uh, you know, if they want to go to a show at night on a cruise, that's fine. And they want to come down after the show and play some poker, they can do that. They want to play poker during the day and, and do something at night. Uh, if they want to go to the pool during the day and come play poker at night. So it's really, it takes that, that cruise vacation, which I think is one of the most phenomenal values in travel anyhow out there, and makes it all that much more exciting for, for players uh, like you and me that, that enjoy playing poker. And uh, what we end up finding is that, you know, we keep the buy-ins fairly low for our tournaments. Um, uh, we'll spread whatever games people want to play, but generally we like to keep uh, keep it, you know, pretty low. Because what we found is it, it, it ends up being a very friendly place to play. Um, you know, part of the thing that I think turns people off from poker when you go into poker rooms is just how serious people are about it. And, you know, players berating each other over the moves they make and stuff. That stuff rarely ever happens on our cruise ships. Uh, end up, most of our passengers end up making friends that they talk to and, and continue to, to see 
beyond that, and that's really kind of fun too. So, um, you know, our, our biggest success has been there have been one spouse that's always wanted to go on a cruise, and the other spouse hasn't. Uh, but that other spouse happens to play poker, so when they find this thing where it's a poker cruise, and that gets everybody in the family on board, and they really have a good time. So. Uh, we just have a nice relaxing poker vacation, so I definitely w- would like people to come and, and then go to AnnieUpCruises.com to learn a lot more about it. Uh, I, I love it. I, I love the cruises. I, and, and, you know, there's something I want to share with you about my opinion of Anti-Up magazine, all the other magazines. I want to tell you that I adore every single publication <laughs> What it has to do with poker. I love it. I love all of you guys. This and might surprise I, you, but I adore every single one of them as well, too. Yeah. Every single know. magazine has a different focus and covers different things. And um, while they're all competitors in one sense, um, they're all doing things that, that we're not equipped to do. And uh, I'm glad they're in the marketplace. Yeah. And, and you know, it's kind of like if you were going to open a fast food restaurant let's say you were going to open a burger king restaurant what do you do you look for a location you look for where mcdonald's is and you put it right across <laughs> from them that, that's that's a that's a rule that's a rule in marketing and and that's you know i think everyone should i i, I want to i've always wanted to see publications work together i want to say that out loud to everybody i've been saying it i've I worked from starting out with with Poker Digest. I've worked with Poker Player Newspaper. I love Linda Johnson and Jan Fisher. I love the Shulmans with Card Player, uh, uh, and you know, and it's just part of the industry. And everyone is different, but I, I think that rather than being competitors, I, I think that that should. Publications should look at each other as partners more than that. So that's that's my 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 word to the universe today. <laughs> well, uh, we are all in this to make poker better. I, I think we can all agree on that. Um, I would like to think that none of our competitors are in this just to, to make a dime. We certainly aren't. Uh, we really enjoy the fact that that Annie Up has helped um, make people's lives better at the poker table. Um, you know, the best thing that can happen is when I travel, people come up and like, oh my gosh, I love the magazine. My picture was in it and my picture's never been in a magazine anywhere up before. So that kind of stuff I like. And um, so, so I think all of us are, are, are trying to, to make poker a bigger part of, of people's lives. So to that extent, while we may not work together as closely as I think uh, you would like us to, I would think as a whole, I think the general idea of us all being out there um, exist, and um, you know I, I can't speak for the other publications on on how they view us, but um, I, I'm not interested in, in creating wars, so I, I try not Good. to, uh, and um, and do do our thing and and be happy with our our piece of the pie, which um, which has has been great and it's getting bigger. So yeah, but we'll call it we'll call it Poker NATO or something. <laughs> <laughs> North Atlantic Treaty Organization. And speaking of, of how you have different branches, you know, there's poker tours come and go, and I am thrilled that Annie Up Poker Tour was launched in November of 2012. And I would like for you to tell us, tell our listeners, what sets Annie Up Poker Tour apart from other tours? 
sure. Uh, you know, much like the cruises, we never set out to get into that business. We saw an opening with the cruises, um, a market that wasn't being served, so we did it, and it, it's grown um, and, and become a very big part of our business. Very much the same thing with the tour. We, we never set out to create an, our, our own tour. Um, back when we were Florida Only Magazine, we, we, we had the, the Annie Poker Tour name that we just put on events, and that was good enough for us. Um, but what I found, um, you know, again, I travel quite extensively. I was on the road 147 nights last year. This year will probably be more than that. Um, visiting folks all over, <laughs> all over the country and talking to folks. And uh, what I was hearing from poker managers, uh, not all of them, obviously, because there's a lot of tours that are doing quite well, but uh, there were a fairly large percentage of poker managers that just weren't happy with the other tour products in the market and really wanted something that spoke more to them. And when somebody tells me that, that's that's everything that Annie Up is is filling a niche in the market. So, um, so for a, for a year, I just took notes on what people were telling me that was missing, what they didn't like about this, or they what they wished that it was like this. And then eventually, we got to the point where we thought that uh, we could put all that together and put out a product that people like. So that's that's what we did. And since then, we revised it a little bit. Um, but again, it goes back to to everything that Annie Up is, which is for everyday players recreational players, not necessarily catering to pros, but hopefully the pros will come and play at our events as well too. So what we do differently than all the other tours that I'm aware of is that we let the host property really call the shots. So they can name the tournament how, whatever they want, um, they can design it uh, however they want. It could be a, a one-day event, it could be a two-week series. Um, they set all the buy-ins. And so they really feel like they they own the event rather than been dictated to by somebody you know sitting in an office in Florida somewhere. And so they really like that. And what I think that means is that the players that frequent that room are really going to like that series uh, because no one's going to design a series that doesn't work for their their home players. And then because of that, um, we think that's a good enough incentive for folks around the country to want to come and visit and play in that because they know it's going to be um, successful and it's going to be designed well by that property. So that's what we do that's a little bit different. And um, the partners that we've signed have really liked it and really embraced it. And uh, we appreciate that. And you know, just like everything else, it's not for everyone. So the, there are folks that, that, that want to stay out of it. They just want somebody to come in and run it. And that's great. And there's plenty of great tour products out there that do that. Uh, but we're really designed for the poker room that that wants to wants to be the leader. Well, you know, you you just reminded me of something, and you you just I love having chats like this because I, I love it being a chat, the conversation that we're having, and and, and things come to mind, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say it is is that one thing that keeps coming to me that is different is poker players keep asking me where they can have a a workshop, a boot camp with me locally. And and I've oftentimes, I've been thinking, you know, you're talking about t- taking your notes and asking people, and it's it, it occurs to me that possibly it would be good for the poker players to have Florida-based workshops three or four times a year. That's what I'm hearing. How does that sound to you? Oh, it works great for us. Um, um, and again, what we do with all those kind of things, whether it's workshops, whether it's any of our other sponsors, um, what we do is, um, you know, again, we tell folks, hey, the poker room is the one calling the shots. Um, so 
you know, we'll help pitch that to the poker rooms, and if they think it's a good fit, they will they will bring you in. Um, and every poker room is a little bit different, and that's what we kind of like about it is that uh, our events are are different in in every location we're in. So some do have uh, classes as part of it, um, some don't. Um, some that the ones that don't probably should, or or, or maybe there's a market for it. So yeah, absolutely. I think. Um, <clears throat> go back to Black Friday when I said one of the, the casualties of that was we lost so much money in the poker economy at that point. Um, and one of the big things that really got lost, I think, in that was a live training. Uh, because at that point, um, and I'm sure you're aware of this, live training was pretty expensive back then. Mm-hmm. Um, you went to these big boot camps with all the celebrities and stuff, and it was you know $3,500 or something that just seems out of, out of this world at this point. And uh, when Black Friday cr- uh, crumbled, you know, you lost all that, that money, so there wasn't that money in the economy for people to pay $3,500 uh, to do it. And a lot of those training companies, I think, held to that price point and ended up suffering because of it. So what I've, tell, I've told people for a, a long time is that people that talk to me are interested in learning poker. Um, they're not interested in paying a ton of money to do it. So I think the first person that can come up um, with an affordable live training program where players say, you know what, that's worth it for me to try it even if I don't like it, I'm not gonna be upset. Um, Because you know and I know and everybody else knows that no matter who the teacher is, you're gonna walk out of there learning something you didn't know or at least thinking about poker in a different way than you did before. So there's always value in any kind of live training no matter who the instructor is or where it is or how many instructors. So um, it really does, I think, at this point, come down to the the, the price point. And um, so, you know, if, if somebody can come up with something that, that makes it work for them and for the players, I, I think there's a huge market for it right now, not just in Florida, but anywhere around the country. Well, you know, I'm I'm saying particularly for me in Florida, simply because of the fact that being living in Florida, uh, you know, w- do I want to go to Las Vegas and do something? Absolutely. Do I want to go to Atlantic City? Absolutely. But when I do that... You know, it's a couple of days travel, uh, or more than that, because when you're going to do training, it's you need to go two days ahead of time because you need to recover before you get there and be able to do that training very well. Exactly. Right. You know, so if if I've got two days of training that I'm going to be doing, it's taken a week out of my life. I'm very, you know, people people on Facebook and media know that that I Mama Peggy will be 88 in 2014 and and. She's just the love of my life, and she's actually probably one of the best poker coaches. Can you believe this? Absolutely. The woman always tells me, if you can believe this, I call in and I'm and I'm in the money and I'm going back to the you know going back to do, do my nine o'clock check in, and she says, remember, what you need to do is you need to take a moment and you need to breathe before you look at your hand. My mother tells me this. Can you believe this? Yeah. <laughs> It's great advice, though. Yeah, yeah, it really is, and and I think it's it's really a great idea to have something that would be l- relatively local home for me. So I think it's a great idea to to think about, talk about, and we'll talk about that after we get through the podcast. Sure, absolutely. So you talk about being on talk about. I see that you're traveling God, everywhere. Uh, do you enjoy traveling all that much? And you know how much of it's for business, and how much do you use for personal? 
Oh, I absolutely love traveling. It, w- it was something that my uh, my parents instilled in me as a kid. We go on vacations all the time, all over, and different places all the time. You know, one of the things I hate now about living in Florida is everybody comes to Disney World every vacation. I mean, there's so much more of the world to see than Disney World. Um, but uh, my parents took us all over the country. So I, I've always liked to travel. Um, obviously, uh, with the uh, the nine to five or whatever that job is I had before, it, it didn't make it easy to travel. Certainly, with this, I need to travel uh, for the company. It just it, it's imperative. Um, you know, I had a, a call the other day with a, a sponsor that, that was out traveling for the first time, trying to, to you know sell his company, uh, sell his products, and um, realize how important face to face is. And it really is these days. I mean, we're in this internet age where you can internet. Uh, even email and text and, and Skype as we are now, but uh, nothing nothing uh, trumps the, the face-to-face contact and, and getting to know people. So it's absolutely imperative for the business that, I, that I'm on the road as much as I am. Uh, from a personal standpoint, though, um, a couple years ago, we, we lost one of our columnists who he played in our home game, um, uh, died way too young, and, um, and that was kind of a... I don't know, a trigger in my mind that uh, that I needed to live every day. And so I, I shifted at that point from these, these trips being almost 100% business to always tacking on an extra day you know, before or after or whatever and trying to find ways that, uh, to have fun from a personal level or hang out with other friends outside the poker world or go to a baseball game or museums or something as part of these business trips. So I just felt like I was I was seeing the world and enjoying it, and it certainly makes the, the, the rigors of business travel so much more fun. So at this point, um, I almost tell people that, uh, I mean, people are almost joking because they, they follow me on Facebook that they, they never see any business on Facebook. It's always me having fun, and, um, and really it is. I mean, uh, there's not a business trip I go on right now that, that isn't fun for me. So it's all the same, I think, at this point. Well, I, I love that. I love the fact that you're giving yourself another day. Remember I was telling you about how how involved I was with my business, and then poker was the thing that helped me realize that I needed to be in the moment. And I want you to remember that, too. I want you to remember that, that you know, enjoy your travel, enjoy where you are, uh, because I, I know that you are a workaholic, Scott. I absolutely know that. <laughs> and I want you to really... You know, enjoy your time with your with your spouse and your travel, and enjoy your time on the cruises. I know you're running things, but I want you to find some time for yourself. And I want to remind everybody to go to AnnieUpMagazine.com, where you can find out all about Scott Long and and his his other papa, Chris Kazenda. <laughs> say, say Chris's last name for me. I always get stumbling on it. Kazenda. Kazenda. And the Papas, the Papas of AnnieUpMagazine.com. And I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast with me. This is so much fun. Oh, I really appreciate you inviting me. And uh, and I know you said you didn't know when this was going to air, but I, I did want to give you a shout-out and congratulations for being uh, nominated for Women in Poker Hall of Fame this year. That's a very big honor, Donna. Well, thank you very much. And, and I mean, it's like everything is coming at once when I was... I was asked to be part of the team pro for seniorpokertour.com. I mean, that was that's a thrill for me as well and like everything is coming at once. And and I'm honored when I saw the six induct- finalists to be an inductee of the Women in Poker Hall of Fame. You know, I I thought 
My goodness, I was honored and dusted that I should be one of them, so I'm just really thrilled. And I want to say to everyone, thank you so much for listening to Big Girl Poker Chat. This is Donna Blevins, your poker mindset coach, and I remind you that you can go to pokerpureandsimple.com for two free training modules that I recorded live. And i like for you to go to iTunes and give us a five-star, because that's what people say. They love it. So give us another one and say, Scott Long, thank you for being with us. Thank you very much, Donna. Appreciate it very much. Take care. Donna Blevins, see you next time. Bye-bye.